America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, Episode 23. This episode, I'm speaking with Patricia Fernley, who is the head of natural history in the content team at BBC Worldwide, responsible for all natural history acquisitions from both the BBC Natural History Unit and independent production companies. Patricia has 26 years experience in the TV industry. She started off as a production secretary before becoming production manager working in most departments across the BBC, working on titles like Walking with Beasts, Krakatoa The Last Days, World War II Behind Closed Doors, Wild Weather and Horizon, before joining BBC Worldwide in 2007 as part of the content acquisitions team. Over the past 13 years, Patricia has successfully acquired distribution rights for the titles like Planet Earth 2, Africa, Spy in the Wild, Frozen Planet, Life Story, History of the World, The Hunt, and Blue Planet 2, helping to pull together production finance for these epic landmark series, then working with commissioning and marketing teams to deliver and promote the content to audiences and buyers. Patricia, thank you so much for taking time out at the uh, Jackson Hole Film Festival to spend a bit of time on the podcast here. Um, I just wanted to ask you some questions about how you broke into the industry, what you're doing now, and um, and how that all relates to the, the film festival here. So first of all, give me just a little bit, bit of background on how you got into the wildlife filmmaking industry. Gosh, it's quite a long story, actually, because I started so far away from the natural history genre. From the age of 14, I used to write letters to the BBC, um, just asking what direction I should go in in my education, what, what decisions I should make, what, I can, what else I could do to try and carve out a career and get into the TV industry because it was, it was really, really competitive even back then. Um, I went on to do a, a TV degree at university and then after a couple of years um, graduating I got a job as a production secretary at the BBC on a production panel which meant I, I used to work in all different genres um, and I eventually became a production manager and I worked mainly in science um, working on productions I worked on walking with beasts actually I worked on Krakatoa the last days with Michael Mosley um, I don't know loads and lots of productions and then and I had a wonderful time I went out on amazing locations and traveled a lot and it was an, an understood production um, and then somewhere along the way um, somebody from worldwide approached me and said um, I'm looking for somebody for this role um, in the content division at Worldwide and with we're looking to bring in the expertise that you have 
and invited me to come for an interview. He knew about me through another independent producer who had worked with me in the BBC. And I asked him a few years uh, later, why, why did you think of me? Why did you recommend me for that role? Because I don't naturally have the skills to, I have some of them, but, but I didn't have all of them by any stretch of the imagination. And he said to me, do you know what? Whenever I came into your office, you were always so smiley and friendly. So one of the best pieces of, of advice I would give is always just be nice to people. And this industry is all about relationships, building relationships on every level. And if you can do that, you can pretty much be successful at anything you want you turn your hand to I mean that, that's great so you you understood that at a young age you wanted to get into the the filmmaking industry the wildlife natural history kind of I just wanted to work in TV if I'm being honest I just wanted to work in TV um, and, and that's all I was interested in doing um, I would have loved to have gone down the more creative side but my skill set and, and the person that I am lent, meant that I was better suited to production management and I, I, I loved working with such talented people and as a production manager you, it is a more creative role than I think people necessarily acknowledge and you're taking off in a half pager and trying to work out how you at, actually execute that half pager. So I loved doing that. I, I do think it was a creative process and, and obviously managing up, managing down, sorting out all the problems that crop up. Um, I mean, when I moved over to Worldwide, it was in uh, my role was across all factual genres, and there came a point where they wanted to um, change the structure of the team and break it down more into genres so that we were more specialists. So I was invited to choose which genre I wanted to work um, against, and I chose natural history because I just I love working with the producers in the natural history unit. I recognise how unbelievably talented they are and how um, privileged I am to work with people like that and to work with content like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I ended up where I am. Yeah, well I, th I think that's great advice to give people about just being nice because as you said, it's a, you know, it's a fairly small melting pot of people that um, you know, you get to know and they're the same people you see whenever you come to the festivals and those, you know, a lot of those people can make or break your career. And you know, if, you, if you're in the right place and as with your career, you know, you didn't look for the position you're in, it found you and it found you because of the type of person you are. Uh, and the the skill set that you have, but had you not taken the the um, path that you had, then you wouldn't be here today. So I think that that's super good advice. Be happy. Yeah. Be nice. Ab absolutely. <laughs> be nice to people, and they'll be nice back to you. Um, I think the the natural history genre specifically is is feels even harder to break into because of what you've just referenced. It's a very close community. Everybody knows each other, and you can see that those close relationships exist when you come to an event like Jackson or Wild Screen in the UK. And I felt quite an outsider for quite a long time because you know as I as I keep saying it takes time to build those relationships and it's really nice to I'm more established now I know more people and I think you know maybe I've proved myself a little bit along the way and I feel a part of that community now 
which yeah, is a really nice place to be. That's great. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier when yeah. you're coming to these things yeah. to, to know and, and uh, value the relationships with the people around you. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the job that you're doing. Um, rather than me try and explain, I'll let you explain it. So um, head of, you're head of the Natural History uh, Distribution, BBC Worldwide Distribution, is that right? So within BBC Worldwide, there's a content team, and that content team make decisions about what investments BBC Worldwide will make, what what programmes they're going to put money into, how much money that's going to be. That's kind of the very um, simple description of what we do. The reality of that, particularly in a genre where you are spending so much money, um, there's probably a lot more. I think we, we do have a, a lot more editorial understanding than... Uh, other people might expect us to in this role. Um, we work closely with the development teams I at the NHU and with indies as well. We don't just do, we don't just work with BBC Studios. We work with some key indies like Silverback and John Downer Productions and those sorts of people. Um, so we we work closely with them on, a on the development of a title, making sure that as well as working for whoever is commissioning it, it's also going to work for. Um, international buyers um, so we will offer advice on on that basis so you have um, some creative control to be able to say th this is the type of thing we would buy into or yeah absolutely. we like what you're doing could, could we take yeah. it down this avenue yeah. that type of thing I th yeah I th I, yeah we do um, and then obviously these type you know the landmarks take four years to make so we don't just invest and then step away and let them get on with it and never look at it until it delivers we work with them pretty closely throughout those four years and, and, and that relationship's changing as well because in a world where we are needing so many more deliverables against a big natural history landmark and a world in which what those deliverables, deliverables might be changes so quickly. We're having to make sure that we can generate that content as we go along and, and refine it and shape it and, and understand how it's all going to be used at the point of delivery. Now, when you're talking about those deliverables, you were on a panel yesterday, I believe, um, talking about uh, and I, and I, I missed all of it, but I, I believe you were talking about like the deliverables for Planet Earth 2 at this point. Yeah, it was called the new face of marketing. So what? So I think what Fred from um, from PBS was talking about WNET, he was saying you can't just rock up with a one pager these days. You know, you need to be um, outlining what your social media strategy is, what what your um, how do you squeeze that title and make it live beyond just a TV series? Um, and as I've just suggested on, on a landmark, we have to do that even more. And, and, and our buyers need us to do it even more. Our co-producers do. Um, so the set of materials that you need to deliver on that promise just grows and grows and grows. And if you don't pick that up throughout the production it's really hard to deliver on at the end. So now, just to um, clarify for people listening, we're talking about, um, uh, Fred was talking about when you're pitching, so if you're an independent yeah. pitching, that a one-page treatment really is not enough anymore. They want to see uh, you know, your social media presence, your marketing strategy um, before the show airs. Are you going to be available to be... Um, I mean, Fred was saying that. I don't necessarily agree. From my perspective, at the
the beginning, it's all about a great program idea, a great story. Um, what it, it, What is it that you're doing that's different from everybody else? What, what, what's special about it? I think we we it's our expertise that develops that marketing strategy within a company like bbc worldwide we have that expertise embedded in the in the business um so we probably prefer to help define that ourselves um but it's a much bigger job than it ever used to be i i think it's amazing i think most people would think that with a show like planet earth that you wouldn't have to do too much because it's such a you know such an iconic series that oh well you can just sit back and you know it'll come out and the DVDs will sell and people will be online and watch it on uh, on TV you know when it comes out and you wouldn't need to do too much but but the world's changing right yeah I mean maybe that's true we don't know because we haven't tested that and I think it would be foolish to test it and I don't think Planet Earth two as a series should just should just be planet earth too it, it feels like it was something so much bigger than that um and we had so much success with the campaign across planet earth too it was something that felt to me like a really tangible shift in how consumers engage with content um for the first time on the level that we saw then um consumers did a lot of the marketing for us and it was clever and it was inventive and it was funny and it was inspiring and and I you know why wouldn't we want that and and it's building in BBC Worldwide there's a, a brand I don't know whether you're aware of it called BBC Earth which we're trying to grow and grow and grow um, so the engagement with that brand has continued to grow more than any of our other brands like Strictly and Top Gear. It, it's growing faster than any other brand. And, uh, you know, you can't ignore the fact that that's probably the impact of a series like Planet Earth 2. But it was just, it was, it's a really exciting time for natural history. You know, the world's pretty grim at the moment in many ways. Um, people, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons Planet Earth 2 was so successful is everybody just wanted that little bit of happiness, you know, a little bit of normality, a little bit of what's real and something to celebrate. Um, and we're following that up this year um, with the launch of Blue Planet 2. Um, so it feels like we're really on a roll at the moment and we're doing even more stuff um, on the marketing side from all the learnings that we had on Planet Earth 2. So yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying my job at the moment. <laughs> so so th there's a real evolution happening between the series. So uh, you're not just going to be um, doing a carbon copy of the distribution not, plan no. that you had for Planet no. Earth. You're, you're moving forward onto yeah. more and bigger and better things you learn lessons on everything and the world continues to change so you should you should do things better each time and so we are in this incredible era where none of us really know what's going to happen next you know we've got social media about us in so many different formats um, we are looking for audiences in different places i mean it used to be cable and and just you know the broadcast channels were where we got our, our audiences from but now it's really looking into those kind of niche areas of social media and various different formats to find the audience and know how to distribute i think it's looking into those areas for new audiences to come to our content i think with natural history there's a very loyal slightly older audience but for planet earth too you know we are talking about traditional broadcasting here and in the UK 
it was the highest watched natural history program for 15 years. Wow. The second program had an audience of 13.1 million. That's phenomenal in the UK. It's yeah. just, and, and it didn't drop massively throughout the run as you would normally see. It was consistent. The audience engagement was very, very consistent. And that's why it's so exciting. It's interesting you say that about finding a new audience because I think that's critical with really any show that's being put out. Um, but with natural history especially, there is that loyal following um, with those big blue chip shows. So what kind of efforts are you making to, to do that? What What is the plan to, say, use social media to find a new audience? So in the same way that we did the extended trailer on Planet Earth 2, um, that was there was a bespoke version made for Facebook. So we used um, some insight that we'd been given um, that, I mean, it's not, not rocket science, but when people scroll through on their Facebook feed, everything's on autoplay. So having that three to five second grab up front was so crucial. So we did a bespoke trail uh, version of that extended trailer for Facebook and, and that's the, the piece of content that got 59 million hits. Um, Wow, 59 million yeah. hits. That's, that's, that's the population of England, pretty much, right? Yeah, well, the snakes iguana sequence got over 400 million. Wow. So um, it, it, it popped on social media, Planet Earth 2. Um, for Blue Planet 2, today we have released the what we're calling the prequel to the series, which is intended to do a similar job to the extended trailer we used on on. Planet Earth 2. This one's five minutes long. It does include some um, bespoke content for the prequel. And we've also um, done a collaboration between Hans Zimmer and Radiohead for the track on that prequel. Oh, nice, that's so a good mix. So it's really special. I mean, it, make, it just makes you tingle watching it. So that that's, was released today. <laughs> that's great. And, and being able to harness these uh, different platforms with shorter content and, and get just such great feedback and, um, and kind of viewership. I mean, hundreds of millions of people is astounding. Yeah. I mean, the other thing we're doing is quirky little GIFs, um, which are posted out on social. Um, there were some really funny ones that had a very different tone of voice to them, which I think genuinely reaches a, a new audience. Um, one of the other things we did on, on Planet Earth 2 was um, a, a Snapchat um, delivery, um, kind of mini episodes for Snapchat, which pushed to the BBC America TX in the States. Um, and, and one of the more interesting things was using other brands to promote Planet Earth 2. Um, so like partnering. We didn't even, a lot of it wasn't done formally, but it was um, being generous with content and allowing other brands to use it in their way to reach audiences that we wouldn't ordinarily reach, you know. Um, it's things like uh, v giving Vsauce an interview with Sir David Attenborough about Planet Earth 2, and they posted that, and Vox did a three-part co-production with us and, and put that up online. And it's all audiences that, that we wouldn't reach ordinarily. 
Um, so that's quite exciting as well. well and and that, that kind of cross-pollination um, of brands is so important, as you say, to build new audiences because, that, as you say, you're, you're meeting a different audience with your content. And, and yeah, that's where it and works so well. And they're doing stuff in quirky ways. There's one that springs to mind for me. I mean, the Twitter feed was just a joy to watch when, when Planet Earth 2 was going out. And um, Innocent Smoothies, Innocent Smoothies, you know, it's not a brand that you'd... You know, think oh yeah, they'll they'll definitely do something on planet Earth too, and they did these little graphs to show their emotional reaction to th uh, over the course of the sixty minutes that Planet Earth two played out, and that went all over the place. But it, it was a really funny, quirky thing to do. But they were just um, reflecting what we were all feeling as we watched it. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I, I had no idea that 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 much of kind of <laughs> you know partnering went on. So now I have a question for you. You may not know the answer to this, but it um, living in a America now when Planet Earth 1 came out I noticed that Attenborough wasn't on it they no. they took the narration of Attenborough off and Oprah did the narration um, with Planet Earth 2 he's on it across the board what was changed there well for Planet Earth the first series Discovery was our co-production partner so that was their decision on Planet Earth 2 BBC America is our co-production partner um, that helps. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and they've kept, kept Attenborough on. And, and I think, I mean, he's such an icon across the world now. I mean, because the world is a much smaller place with uh, TV, I mean, you know, BBC is huge in America now. And of course, only a few years back, it really wasn't. I mean, things have changed so much, and there's so much content out there with him on it. And and American audiences seem to be far more receptive to um, a British accent. And I know back when I was hosting um, in the early 2000s, it was really hard for us to try and get our shows on American TV. They didn't want it. And in fact, one of our shows was remade the same show with an American host. Um, and yet the shows were going out to 147 other countries that really enjoyed them. So, uh, but it looks now though, like things are changing from that respect. But it's changing in the whole TV industry, I think. If you look to fiction, um, there's a lot more British actors um, playing key parts in really high profile US dramas in a way that you probably wouldn't have seen before. Um, so I think that, that it's just drip thread down, you know, and obviously, when we had our co-production relationship with Discovery, uh, they wanted it branded as Discovery, not BBC. Um, whereas BBC America is, is you know, BBC through and through. It's got all of our brand values and everything. Um, and, you know, Sir David Attenborough will be a, a key talent for them, obviously. Fantastic. Now, in terms of advice for people, um, I think your advice earlier was fantastic. What other advice could you give for people who are, there's a lot of people here who come to volunteer here or they've paid, a, you know, the, the price for a delegate pass and they're here to network, but they're, they're not in the industry. They know no one and they're having to approach people and try and make contacts. Now, um, what advice would you have from a production side, distribution side? You know, how, what's the best avenue to take? That's a really hard question without knowing what an individual wants to do at the end of it. I think, I do think it's a hard industry to break into because there are so many people that want to do this so badly. You know, that there's far more people that want to do it that will end up doing it. But I think everybody's looking for that person that goes 
the extra mile, that does a little bit more, that, that proves themselves and just works their socks off. Um, and finding a way to illustrate that you're willing to do that, I think, goes a long way. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said for teamwork when it comes to any type of production. You know, the um, it's always part of having a really good crew, and if you can work well together yeah. and integrate work together. I know certainly traveling the world as a production crew, it's a bit like if you've ever seen Big Brother, right? Yeah, it's exactly You throw like people that. in being yeah. in a room that don't like each other, it's terrible. And if yeah. you travel the world with people that don't like each other, it's terrible. Yeah. So being um, able to fit in well with other people and really do whatever it takes to get the job done. I mean, if people like you and you're nice to them, they are more likely to want to work with you again. And if you make their lives as easy as possible and make enable them to do their jobs even better than they ordinarily would, they will want to work with you again. And I think that that's worth more almost than the skill set or experience in I mean, some ways. I think I think people there's a lot of people that expect to be able to walk into it their expectations are quite high of what they're entitled to or should be entitled to and I, I have I'm always very impressed when somebody is more proactive than that is, and is trying to do stuff for themselves and, and prove themselves in some way so if they're going out there and doing their own thing and showing what they're capable of that's so much more inspiring and interesting than somebody who wants an opportunity from you and people are often very keen to explain why a job that's being advertised is great for them but less able to explain why they are great for that position yeah that's very interesting and, and I think people who are doing things for themselves have the passion and drive exactly to to um, to fit in and do what what uh, the job entails yeah. and if they're already out there doing it then there's a good chance that they're they're a good fit yeah yeah, yeah. exactly Patricia thank you so much for it's spending the time thank with you. me it's great to have you on here and, and offer your advice and uh, I can't wait for uh, blue planet too that sounds awesome <laughs> thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series' future episodes. You can find out more information about wildlife filming at jakewillers.com. And if you're interested in starting a career in the wildlife filmmaking industry or being mentored to further your career, then please visit jakewillers.com forward slash mentorship. Thanks for listening. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big